Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our at-home studio. Finally, back home. Well, not for long. Oh, really? And we must admit that we are cheating just a bit. (laughs) Oh, no, not us. Because of the Navigator's compulsion to post the podcasts on the first of the month, lest his listeners send him inflammatory emails. How could you possibly do anything else that be loyal to our listeners? In our 11th year, we've never missed a first of the month. Well, almost. What do you mean, almost? And... Well, last month was about as close as we came. No, if you look back always, as I did the other day. Anyway. You listen to the old podcast? The, no, I just looked at when they were. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to listen to them. I live them. Yeah, but I forget what I talked about. That's I can't true. even remember what I talked about last month. That's I'm true. afraid we're going to duplicate a little bit even here. If so, mea culpa. Anyway, at the <laughs> beginning of April, we will either be in the air crossing the international jet line, international <laughs> dateline, or jet lag beyond belief. I sound like I really we're am both. jet lag beyond belief. It won't be 12 hours we're swapping day for night. So we thought in the interest of greater coherence, we would do some Ooh. podcast recording while we are still at the at-home studio. Um, and as we prepare for a lengthy extravaganza, another cruising Oh, yes, we had to come home so we can leave again. What a hard life we have. You know, I want to clarify with our listeners that we are traveling more and more because the end is in sight. That's the best way to put it. I mean, I don't have that many more years to travel. And so if you, have to, if you, dear listener, have to space out your travels a little bit more, understand that our motives are a little bit different because the if you're 50 or 60 years old, you've got a lot of time left. But poor us... And as we talked and listened to more podcasters and bloggers that are having old age problems, we realize that this is creeping up on us. And it will creep up on you, too, but uh, you're probably a little younger than we are. So if we feel a bit frenzied and frenetic, it's because we are. (laughs) And we're not saying this out of any great knowledge of impending doom, although I am facing some surgery with a lengthy recovery time when we return from this last trip on my foot. This is to avoid continuous pain, which I've had the last two years, and hopefully get my speed and endurance in walking back up to what it should be. Uh, And this is a choice that I have made, which hopefully I will not regret. But But of course, we have not at all altered our schedule. Well, no, we we fit this surgery in after all the reservations that we had already made when I decided to have the surgery. We are hopeful that we can resume our frenetic pace again, although this particular surgery involves the Achilles tendon which heals very slowly and we might both be very restless and crabby and poor Ken will have to be a nurse for a while before this comes to uh, end. Anyway, uh, we are looking forward to this trip and looking forward to when we can plan the next one but we will be on hiatus a little bit in between. Do you want to say anything? Well, not the, the podcast won't be on hiatus. Do you want to say anything about... We will be podcasting from home. About our impending trip? Well, sure. All right. Briefly, we are <laughs> flying from here to here, our Chicago 
area to home Singapore. to Singapore and boarding a cruise now, ship. This sounds very exotic. Which will sail up to Thailand, to, to India, Rio. to Sri Lanka, through the Suez Canal, past some um, political hotspots, to um, two stops in Greece, uh, Jordan and ends in Rome. Right. And this will take us about a month to do. The, 30 begin- days. the beginning of the cruise has more stops than the end, and the beginning of the cruise, which is a two-week cruise back-to-back with the second one, is considerably more expensive because of that. But as you know, we love Days at Sea, and we'll look forward to doing the next podcast yeah. while we are see. at sea. Right. We've bought the internet package so that the ship will have plenty of internet, and we will be able to upload it without any... F- problems. I, I, I know the ship will have better internet than we expected in, in Cuba. Yes. So, and I, and I want to mention about cruising. We've talked to several of our listeners lately who have not really considered cruising as a vacation because they thought it was A, too expensive, or that the ships were confining. too confining. Right. And we don't find either one of those things to be true. And as we've mentioned before, you can cruise for about $100 a day with a balcony. And if you shop around and can cruise at off times. So now this this upcoming cruise is a very good example of exactly the benefits of cruising uh, at off season. We're going on a back-to-back. Each one is 15 days. So that's a total of 30 days. And the turnaround is in Abu Dhabi. So we sail from Singapore to, to Abu Dhabi and then uh, the passengers swap out and then we go on to Rome. That's that's called back-to-back cruising, and we stay in the same cabin. But we paid for two separate cruises. Now, the first cruise is double the price of the second cruise on a per-day basis. And has double the stops. Has double the stops, but the second one is considered to be a repositioning cruise. And we like repositioning cruises because not only do they have quite a few days at sea, but often they have very unusual itineraries. And this one goes through the Suez Canal and goes to Greece and goes to Italy, as well as to Oman, Oman, Jordan, Jordan, and to Yemen. New places. New places for us. So these are interesting itineraries because uh, the ship is going to a new Location In this case, they're going to Rome, where they're going to do cruises round trip out of Rome. It has been doing round trip cruises out of Singapore. And so depending on the season and the weather and that sort of stuff, ships get repositioned. And those are the least, least expensive. And usually they're in the shoulder season, which means the weather is usually pretty good. And uh, you can get yourself some real bargains. And you got to get there, though. And that's another issue, which I was surprised to talk to a friend the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact. I said, well, we'll fly business class to Singapore. And I wasn't exactly bragging, but she said, business class? How did you ever get into business class? And I said, well, we are flying round trip one way to Singapore and the other back from Rome. And we're flying business class, and we paid almost nothing for those flights. And she was like, wow. How could this be? How could this be? We're using frequent flyer miles that are attached to our credit card. Because I used to think that frequent flyer miles miles were racked up because you frequently flew. Exactly. And and when you're an RVer, even as avid a traveler as we are, we still don't fly all that frequently. No. 
So we have made a very concerted effort to link our credit cards to the airlines that are based in the Chicago area where we live, and we try to charge everything that we can, being aware of the bottom line and making sure that we can pay off the bill every month because then there are no savings involved if you can't do that. And every so often we have ended up accumulating enough miles slash dollars slash points to be able to purchase, when quotation marks, frequent flyer mile trips, even on business class. Well, so you can start off with uh, frequent flyer miles. Uh, any a domestic round trip will usually cost you about 25,000 miles. And so that equates to charging $25,000 on your credit card, which... You know, it takes us a couple years to make that sort of stuff happen, but it does happen, and then you get the free flight. And we now, this with this particular trip, we're flying one way on American, because we had enough miles with them, and the other way back home on United. To fly this route business class, if we had to pay for it, would cost us over $4,000 for each leg. Each leg. Each of us for each leg. So this is not an inconsequential perk if you use a credit card. And there, to us, as long as you're faithful about paying off the credit card, there's no downside to this. There's no, you pay the same amount of money. And because our flight to Singapore has a fairly long layover in Hong Kong, we are also looking forward to using the business class lounge, which is something that I was never even aware of. <laughs> In the old days. Because um, we were really poor. And, and this is a place where you can uh, take a shower if your layover is long enough. And we think we will feel like that will rejuvenate us when we get there. And they usually have uh, enough food that you can make a meal out of whatever they have laying around. They're usually pretty generous with liquor. And nice seating and good Wi-Fi. And it's just a very pleasant experience if you have to spend four or five hours. And you understand that the flight from Chicago to Singapore is 16 hours in the air. Which, Plus the layover. Well, and then we have the layover, and then we have another three and a half hours to, uh, to oh, I'm sorry, we stop in Hong Kong, and then another three and a half hours to, to Singapore. Singapore. So this is not an inconsequential flight, and you want to feel as good as you can because when you land, you want to be able to start uh, viewing the cities and doing the tours and and uh, enjoying your trip. So I would seriously look at a credit card that grants you frequent flyer miles. and. As long as you can travel, people talk a lot about the problems with frequent flyer. And once again, it has to do with flexibility. Can you travel at kind of an off time? It's very difficult to get frequent flyer trips at holidays like Christmas right. and Thanksgiving. There are hardly, hardly any seats left, if any, and somebody has always beaten you to them. Do realize that we have only learned how to take advantage of this stuff <laughs> since we have retired, because but, when we worked, we were on a school well, schedule. And the, and the credit cards didn't do that. And when we were off in the summer and off at Christmas, um, as many of you with families are, then that wasn't available to us. So it's... Definitely easier to do this when you have time flexibility. And a lot of people, I think, look at the credit cards and uh, get the ones that have cash back, which is a good idea. But you'll never get this kind of cash back, uh, you know, this kind of flight. So if you're interested in traveling and uh, on fairly long distance travel or even in the United States, the frequent flyer miles are good. And our card, which is a Chase Sapphire, actually has double miles on certain types of purchases. So when we pay for the cruise, (laughs) 
we get double the miles. Uh, that's a fairly substantial amount of money. I would never pay for a cruise with cash or check because I want the frequent flyer miles. And so this is a major factor in helping us to travel as much as we do outside of the RV. All that diesel I put in gets frequent flyer miles. And it seems like for the amount of value we get for our miles, mm-hmm. it's better to use them for international flying yeah. than for flying within the country. Yeah. Although it's nice to save money on that too. Right, but we kind of save up for the big trips because they're the ones that you really want to have the, the access to the lounge and to the big seats and lie flat and all that sort of good stuff that the airlines are offering these and days. And if I'm only flying from Chicago to New York City, I don't need to be in business class because the flight is not Yeah, that this long. past fall when we went to New York uh, to go on uh, wherever we were going... <laughs> We we flew just southwest, which has no classes at all. So that's, we like them, and we pay for it. But we like them too because they give you free free two lo- two luggage, bags. Yeah, which is another nice advantage of business class is you can bring seventy pound suitcases. <laughs> two of them. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how much we actually do bring. But it's nice to have the freedom to bring what you really think you need, which is no longer the case when you fly. As you could tell last month, we really enjoyed our stay at the Great Outdoors and enjoyed meeting the many listeners who stopped by to say hi. And we want to thank very much uh, listeners Dan and Janelle for buying my camera. (laughs) My my camera, they bought it right out from underneath me. And now we had to buy another (laughs) one for this (laughs) We probably left TGO a little earlier than we wanted to uh, because this trip was... Well, and it came back to Chicago when it was cold. Yes, there were even concerns about snow. We didn't deal with that on the drive home, but it's been just cold enough that Ken felt that it would be a good idea to... um, Better safe. Wouldn't want to lose the new washing machine, which we also should mention. Re-winterize the brig. So we had, uh, the last couple days, we had a problem with our washing machine, and we made an appointment to have it replaced, and then we found out that the washing machine that we bought didn't fit into the RV. Now, can you imagine this? It fit into the oh, washing yeah. machine cubby hole, but yes. it didn't fit down the hall. hallway. And <sighs> we knew it was close, but we were stupidly optimistic. Talk about expensive. And so we had to take that one back and pay a restocking fee and blah, blah, blah. Well, we bought it at Home Depot because it was just it's just a, a apartment model washing machine. We thought, well, it fit in, and it was only half an inch bigger than the old one and had no real thought that it wouldn't fit down the hallway. We didn't want to replace it with the exact same thing because the Whirlpools get horrible reviews, and we didn't like the Whirlpool to begin with because uh, it had stopped spinning. So we decided to go with an LG, and then we took it into the repair place, and they they had it we had it delivered there by Home Depot, and then it didn't fit, and so we had to make an alternative reservation or repair. And they ordered us it, a Splendid, an Arista, made by Arista, Splendid, made by Splendid, right? But this is a just a washer, not the combination washer dryer. We found that the washer dryer combination that Splendid makes works okay, but the separate units actually work a little bit better. And this one gets pretty good reviews and was half an inch smaller than the LG. And made it down the hall. And made it down the hall. Can you believe that? Our hall is not 24 inches wide, even with the slides out. Jeez. While I'm doing the wash, I'm always glad that I have a washer and separate dryer. 
but when I'm not doing the wash, I still miss my coat closet. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> what to do with the space that's in your RV is always a conundrum. Yeah, because this takes up twice the amount of space that the old one did, and that's probably the coat closet that we used to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well. So much for layout in the rv so we got that fixed uh, and the new washer well we know why they put whirlpools in because they're the cheapest washer dryer combination you can put in we kept the dryer and the dryer fits on top of the new washing machine fine and the new one fits in okay and everything seems to be working good but i guess the bottom line is be careful if you're putting in a washer and dryer to make sure that they fit <laughs> not only in the space but down the hallway into the space expensive lesson learned Ooh. <laughs> Yes. We, I think we've mentioned before that we have joined a Facebook group for over 50 RVers. <laughs> At times we are very bemused, amused by some of the questions people ask, but it's been a good experience because it lets us know things that people are wondering about and thinking about. Uh-huh. And one question that amazes me continuously is people are saying things like, I'm going from San Jose to Dallas. What route should I take? And I would never think of asking (laughs) other people about that. But I did want to say a few things about our route home. Uh Um, Not because it was anything in particular, but we wanted to share with you our thought processes in that we are very cognizant of big cities and when to go through big cities. And I want to emphasize that the RV Navigator is a fabulous driver taught how to drive large vehicles by the Chicago <laughs> Transit Authority in his youth and, and he can, doesn't mind driving. can sail through any crowded city, any traffic with a plum. But, but why waste your time sitting in Atlanta right. when you don't need to? So one thing we do when we plan our route is we try to get through the big cities during non-rush hour times or on a Saturday or on a Sunday. One of our best traverses through Atlanta was on an Easter morning when all the good Christian folks in Atlanta were at church and nobody was on the road. So that would be something that I would think is important to consider as much as the actual route that you decide to take. And I think we've mentioned before that we use an app called Enroute um, to plan our travel and that it alerts us to possible weather issues a a few days out. So if there's going to be snow or heavy rain or um, elevation that we hadn't paid attention to that's going to affect the drive, that's a very helpful tool as you're planning to leave. And, you know, the elevation and the curves and how difficult the road is to drive is important. A lot of people... (laughs) Uh, don't want to go through Chattanooga, for instance, because it has a very long grade, uh, and you're either going to go up it or down it, depending on which direction you're going, and it's kind of curvy and twisty. It doesn't really bother me, but uh, some people uh, get a little bit hyper about uh, that kind of road, and this is a way to avoid it. And a lot of people <laughs> make – we talk to several people who go out of their way, literally, to go to miss Atlanta and to miss Chattanooga and the other routes north. And, I mean, one person and talked to us extensively, and his route was 60 miles longer. 90. 90 miles longer. And I just go, oh, I'm not going to drive an extra 90 miles just to skip a city, unless there's a reason. But we should also add that at the moment, we, we own a rig that is powerful enough to handle all those mountain curves. And I can remember a trip we took Well, this is nothing compared to it is out west. Fifth wheel and truck when we spent the summer in Colorado. And I can remember a few times after lengthy climbs that we had to pull over and open the hood and let things cool down a bit. Well, um, which is 
is disconcerting, and then you also have to not good. your brakes hold when you're coming down the other side. Uh, so those are the things that are more important. But that's not Chattanooga. That are important to think about Chattanooga when you're planning a four-lane road. I'm not talking about our route. I'm talking about routes in general. Know, but Chattanooga is fine, and it's four-lane superhighway, and trucks are all over it. My kind of criteria is if 18-wheelers can go, there, so can I. So I don't have any real question about the routes as a rule. Which the navigator sometimes does. Well, I certainly would plan a route differently if we were doing it in the car. Oh yeah. We, well, we only took two days in the car. We took three days in the motorhome. Right. So that's a that's a big difference. Right. We definitely drive slower. There's no question about that. And but. I'm definitely more willing to take the shortest route when I'm in a car than mm-hmm. when I'm at the, when when we're in the motorhome. I wonder if it was cheaper to go. If it's cheaper to go in the car or the motorhome because we spent like eighty dollars a night for the hotel, but. Less on gas. And we spent two nights of camping, too. Yes. Okay, so. So we were able to bring home all of our stuff. The thing, the thing that, that we're contemplating. Leaving the RV in Florida and then just driving down to pick it up or and not having to winterize it. Yeah. Or should we bring it back to Chicago and pay the $60 a month we pay for storage? Sure, and the hazards of RVing, I tell you. Such the, the, tough deci- the, the tough decisions. Where are you going to go next? I tell you, this is just really hard. But we really should talk a lot more about where we have just been. Yes. Uh, when we did the podcast last month, we sent it to you from Cuba, and we're amazed and delighted that we were able to do that. But the trip had just begun, and we certainly have a lot more thoughts and impressions about Cuba now after having spent 12 days there and being fortunate enough to see both the countryside and Havana. So the Internet, which is the most important thing. <laughs> I was able to mount the podcast without really much of a problem at all. So it got up and was uh, ready for our downloading friends to to listen to it almost right away because they had decent Internet. However, we should mention that the Internet was only available starting in July of 2015. So less than two years ago, they had Internet Wi-Fi that was available for widespread use. And nobody has it in their home yet, but clearly the concept and the beauty of being on right. the Internet and using Wi-Fi has caught on with the Cuban people. And you could easily tell where the Wi-Fi hotspots were because there were crowds of people sitting around uh, doing stuff with their phones and FaceTiming. And, right. It was great to see. And one thing that we wondered about and don't totally know for sure is how freely Cubans were, are able to access information that way and it appeared to us that they can pretty much surf and go wherever they want to go and certainly their ongoing close connections with their family members that are living in Florida um, helps to make them aware of what all is out there and so they are using Wi-Fi enthusiastically yes. and, and readily and it's not all that expensive well, for, well for us it was it was reasonably expensive but i think that they get a the locals get a break on it but you, you have to buy these cards by the hour and put in a code number well any camper who's, yeah. who's done that is yeah. familiar with that problem most of the time you don't do it by the hour for us you don't rent it the speeds though were halfway decent even with all the people using it i was surprised we were able to get on almost anywhere we were but you couldn't do it in the hotel you had to go out into the central square of the city which might have been a block away and sit on a park bench (laughs) with your computer or your ipad or whatever you have and do the internet from there so that was kind of an interesting experience but we're glad to see that everywhere we went 
even in the fairly rural areas, there were these hotspots that are run by the government, the government internet agency, whoever that is. So the cards for the hourly fee were universal. You could buy them any place uh, and use them in, in any other city. So there was, <laughs> there was only one carrier, but the service was decent. So you can go to Cuba and know that you'll be connected. What a relief. If you don't mind paying. Uh, and it cost us on the order of two two to five dollars an hour, depending on where you were. It was actually the hotels that were gouging us. Mm-hmm. They added a surcharge. We, we finally went to the post office and bought our cards there because that was the same price everywhere. But if you bought them at the hotel, they made a surcharge, even though they were government hotels and were supposed to be charging the same price as everybody else. But. And even at the post office, we were able to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, not speaking Spanish. And, and it was very nice to see how many people there who are in the tourist industry spoke great English, and I didn't feel at all hampered by my lack of Spanish ability, although I'm always sorry. That well, I we didn't have to make a lot of connections. Lo- local that, language. Right. We didn't use the local transportation, and we didn't have to communicate with people outside the tourist industry much at all. In our guidebook, we had read that the Cuban people as a whole are much less racist than our society is, and I really can't speak to that, but what I can say is there is no one look of the Cuban people. Uh We saw blue-eyed blondes, and we saw people that had clearly had their ancestors come over in a slave ship, um, and Indian types, Hispanic types, and, and everything in between. And the groups of people and the couples seem to be a real mishmash of everything and everybody so perhaps what i read in the guidebook is true and is so kudos to the cubans for and we found the cubans having accomplished that. to be very friendly very open very and glad that we were there yes yeah and they didn't understand usually that we were americans they thought we were canadians right or some other english speaker so that was a, an interesting experience that uh, america is not dominating cuba at all <laughs> there are no there are no new american cars there are no American brands. There's no American. Well, that is funny, though. There was American TV. In our hotel. In our hotel. So I assume, yeah, not over the air, but that's that's they got cable TV, and we were able to get CNN once in a while, which is interesting, CNN or somebody else CBC on the cable. CBC we got once Yeah, but now. where are they getting, how are they getting that if we don't have relations with them? Hmm. Were they stealing it, perhaps? Or somebody was helping them with a workaround. Ah, with a workaround. Okay. To me, when I visit a country like Cuba, what I like to do is not take a tour, as we were required to, but to rent a car (laughs) and um, drive around on our own, see stuff. Um, And a fatal flaw that still exists in Cuba is transportation. (laughs) You can't rent a car. There are no cars. No, other people can rent cars, just not Americans. Well, they're hardly wearing cars. In in many ways, Cuba is very progressive and modern. I'm thinking about education and healthcare, but when it came to transportation, those people are really suffering. We didn't see many motorcycles as we did in India. We saw a surprising quantity of horse-drawn vehicles of various sorts. In any town of any size, there were many pedicabs Uh or some poor guy on a bicycle has a wagon behind where you sit and he pedals you around Uh the city, which made me feel kind of bad when 
But we, we put our poker tune into those vehicles, and these slim guys had to drive us around. Um, the bus system that exists is vastly overtaxed. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard about in Tokyo when the subway comes in, and there are too many people, and there are um, transportation officials who are whose job it is is to stuff more people into the door before it closes. And we saw this going on with the buses because there simply were not enough of them. And people waited in huge groups and long lines and couldn't get anywhere and we also found that we would go through various intersections and people would be standing on the corner <laughs> waving pesos at us at um, our bus until us. we understood that government-owned vehicles which many of them are are required to stop for ve- for people waving pesos and pick up what amounts to paying hitchhikers i guess you should say to take them places because there simply isn't enough transportation private cars are few and far between Taxis really. in Havana, well, we saw I, I, I old think, American cars well, used I think, as taxis. I think, no, there were taxis, but I don't think that they were used by the common people. But I have to make the comparison here between what we saw in India and what we saw in Cuba, and I think there's there's a, a major difference here as a result of Castro and his communist philosophy. Uh, Castro's belief was that everybody should have a job, everybody should have a basic income, everybody should have health care, proper nutrition, and everybody should have uh, education. Whereas in India, it's strictly free enterprise and it's every man for himself. But in, in Cuba, there is a bottom line that no matter what happens, you will have food, you will have a basic income, they will give you a government job. It may not be exactly what you want, but there will be a government job. You will, your kids will be educated. You will have health care, and you can live. So there is a threshold which people don't go below. So there's no begging. There's no, uh, there's no super poverty like we see in India. And there isn't the super wealth that we well, that's exactly see right. in our country right. and it so, exists so, in India too. Cuba has this bottom line where... Kind of a social safety net. A social safety net. Beyond that, what's happened since Castro uh, is out of office, I think, is, is that private entrepreneurship has driven people to create new jobs and new businesses and a kind of a, a second economy, which is beyond what the government has. So there is, for instance, uh, the government hmm, grocery stores. and everything is rationed so rice you get every family gets a certain ration for rice every month but depending on how many people they have in their family oil eggs beans sugar all sorts of, of staples so everybody will have the basics that they need to to live however if you want other stuff you have to buy it and the government does not provide much incomes therefore you have to go out and be an entrepreneur so we stayed one night in a private b&b not government owned and self-supporting by local tourists who come in and, and stay there and this family had res- had renovated their house and had built an addition on and were had turned it into a three-room b&b uh and this is exactly what happens or you have an old american car and you turn it into a taxi and the government seems to condone this kind of thing so there's two separate economies one you can live by yourself and and at the minimum level or you can work hard and and become uh, more of an 
an entrepreneur and make yourself uh, a good middle-class living. And at the moment, these two separate economies are fueled by two separate currencies, which uh-huh. is an incredibly awkward system from our point of view, and I suspect it's going to go away. So as a Cuban citizen, you are paid with local pesos. We were told that the average monthly wage is about $25 a month, and that gives you enough to live, as we said. And then there are tourist pesos, which are the kind that we got for our cash dollars, which we had to trade in. No ATMs, no credit cards. And we could only shop in places that <laughs> that took that kind of money. Which reminds us of the old hard currency stores in Russia and other right. places. Right. And even in the tourist currency stores, the stores were very oddly equipped. <laughs> um, you you would see a lot of the same kind of thing filling up a shelf, and the display windows often had things in them like plastic flowers or creatively draped fabric because they didn't have enough product to put in the windows um, to lure shoppers in as, as we would do. So just to reiterate, uh, in India, we saw poverty that was really desperate desperate no electricity no running water no indoor plumbing no plumbing period and we went to several places that you just said that's impossible to live there and you didn't know how they did it but in cuba we went to rural areas and we went to similarly rural areas and (laughs) the people had electricity they had refrigerators in mud huts they had a rice cooker which the government sponsored and some basics i mean the kitchen they were cooking over charcoal, but they had a, a they had a, a, a nice big, big two door refrigerator, <laughs> which the government sponsored them and made sure that they had. So these people were not unhappy uh, in, in their circumstance, and they were growing their own vegetables and selling them at the market, and they were trying to sell straw hats to us, and and you know they were being entrepreneurs and trying to earn a little bit of extra money, but they were secure in knowing that they were not going to be in true poverty. Another infrastructure problem in India. that isn't totally conquered is running water uh-huh. or clean water. Well, I'm, I'm imagining one of the fam- small family homes we went into that had one of those big fridges, but it didn't have any no, running no. water in the sink. Um, right. There was a hose outside right. and an outhouse that uh-huh. they used. And even in Havana, <laughs> in the big city, uh, we were on streets that had restaurants that didn't have running water. And we would see a big water truck come in like we might see in our country after mm-hmm. a hurricane or something, bringing emergency supplies in because the the pipes are broken and they just have, it hasn't been repaired. So in many ways, it felt like the things that Castro didn't value in Cuba have been the Neglected during the 50, 60 years it's that he was in power and in infrastructure. Right. Um, and only now are they beginning to work on them. And these days, it's very clear to us that Cuba is putting all its eggs in the basket of earning money and making a living through tourism. And they're working very hard to build hotels and restaurants that we would feel comfortable in and would revisit. And I would be happy to come back to Cuba again in terms of how we ate and the hotels we slept in. It was very clean, very comfortable. The food was great. If anything, we were very happy with the accommodations. Too much food, not, not a lack of food. So that part is going very well. But you have to think about the fact that Cuba is 
when it all comes down to it, another Caribbean island. And when it comes to tourism, uh-huh. it has a lot of well-established competition right around it. St. Right. Thomas, the other Virgin Islands, St. Martin, Puerto Rico, blah, blah, blah. And one has to wonder if people will keep coming back to Cuba as opposed to going to one of those other islands right. for repeat visits, which is what will really make them be a tourist powerhouse. And of course, we still can't, because of the American government regulations, we still can't go as just free tourists. We have to go with a tour or some sort of organized plan on a people-to-people exchange, is what they call it. This, for us, was a fabulous experience to me. This is the way to go, because we got to do so many interesting things. and With see- people. With people, right. So, we did get to go to a village. We went to a rodeo out in the country. We went to a farm. We went to a dance troupe. We went lots of culture. and met the people. Lots of culture. We had to do two to three hours of cultural. Cultural not meaning that you're sitting in an audience listening to a, a band or an orchestra or something, but cultural meaning that you're it's your not in tourist attractions, you're meeting people. We went and visited with some fishermen and talked about how they, you know, how they go about catching their catch and, you know, things we didn't know anything about, but it was very interesting to to be with them and, and to hear the story of the local Cuban, you know, that's that's what it's all about. And so, from our perspective, this is the, the way to go to Cuba. And we had a, a fabulous bus that took us around to all these places. It was very nice because there were only... 20 people on a 47-seat bus. The bus was nicely air-conditioned, and it had it was a Chinese bus with, wait for this, a Cummins engine, just like I had, and it's like I have on my bus. Unbelievable that they would have this uh, Cummins ISL. And the driver and I had a, a, a pantomimed conversation about uh, the, the differences between uh, his situation and mine. His roads were... Some of them were six lanes wide and no traffic. We, we drove uh, there we, no vehicles, which was an unbelievable experience. Whenever you go to a city, a big city like Havana, and the tour guide says, "Well, tomorrow we're going to go visit, you know, this and this and this. You know, it's going to take us this long to get between uh, the venues." And and they always say if you're in Rome or London or Paris or you know any, New, New York, York certainly it, it depends on the traffic and it depends on you know what's going on in the city today. Not in Havana, there no was traffic. No traffic. <laughs> and they could say it's going to take us 20 minutes to get here, and it took 20 minutes because whenever you go, it's there's no traffic. And even in the city, the bus driver would zoom through intersections that didn't have stop signs or stop lights, and it felt like it wasn't safe. But he knew exactly what he was doing because there was never anybody coming the other way. Just, just a lack of private cars is is just hard to believe. And motorcycles and you know other vehicles. There were some, but very very few. And that was one of the biggest changes. And of course, the cars that you did see were all. Mm, Korean and Japanese and Chinese uh, brands that sometimes we recognized and sometimes we didn't. And, of course, old Ladas. And then the old American cars. Which are as lovingly cared for as as you heard. And all of the geezer men in our group flipped out big time <laughs> looking at all these, old, me. all these old geezer cars from their childhood. From the 30s. I, I was expecting cars from the 50s, but there were some from the 30s. And they have all been repainted and, and most of them had... And believe it or not, Toyota diesel engines, and many of them had air conditioning and that sort of stuff, but lots of convertibles. and They looked great. 
They look great. We had a couple of rides in them, and it was really uh, an interesting experience. And that's one thing, of course, that Cuba has a real lock on. Yes. But these cars, they look great. I mean, and they, they weren't rusted out, and the paint was nice. But and the upholstery's nice. Right. <clears throat> but they had no but, heaters. And, and lots of the dials on the dashboard didn't do anything didn't anymore. Do, yeah, and they had replaced stuff. So if you are, uh, they're all over and tons of great pictures that I got. So you, uh, if you're interested in old cars. That's something to look forward to. Right, then. and we did find a few. Uh, the one we wrote in at the last was, did have its original engine, a 296 Chevy or something, with a carburetor. They are managing to keep these things running. It's hard to believe it. It, it was... Uh, not running all that well, but <laughs> it did still work. Two of the places that we stopped, we ran into cruise ships and the tourists that came off of those ships. And as you well know, we love cruising, and <laughs> cruising is another way to try to visit Cuba. But I would say at the present time, it's probably not the best way. Yes. Because when you are on a cruise ship, even a smaller one, there's a vast quantity of people that get off at the same time, and Cuba just isn't ready for that. Uh, shopping was practically non-existent, anything that we would want to buy, except for the locally produced art. Uh -huh. We saw a lot of nice pieces in that regard. So even like buying a t-shirt, we, we found some in Havana, <laughs> right, but right. Um, if you like to shop and get souvenirs, Cuba's not the place for you and and certainly um they have beautiful beaches but anything else you would want to do like go kayaking on a, on a tour there just aren't enough kayaks or go on a bicycle tour or they're just not ready for us yet so i would say if you're interested in visiting cuba at the present time taking an organized tour the way we did would be the better choice and having a tour that includes some countryside as well as havana also will give you a more complete picture of what's going on there and of course the thing we enjoyed also was all the good food we had and cuba has great food and very I hate to say this, but it's un-Mexican-like. I mean, we were not expecting... Not spicy. Not spicy. At all. Well, rice and beans at every meal, and not much beef, but a lot of chicken, a lot of fish, and uh, lamb. The Cubans uh, don't have lunch. We didn't see any French fries. We were not offered any French fries. We were not offered a hamburger. They don't do fried food much. That, not, that was amazing to me. No fried, no fried food to speak of. There were, of course, no McDonald's, no restaurants that you would ever recognize as a chain European or American. There were no Home Depots. There were no Walmarts. There was nothing, a, a large store that we ever, I never saw a large grocery store, department store. I mean, that was more than a 7-Eleven. Yes, kind of. Yeah, 7-Eleven was, a, a big 7-Eleven would be the biggest store that we saw. As a cruise passenger, you might not get the chance to experience this and see it. And do much. And do much, right. But the cruise passengers are still under the same restrictions, so they can't go to the beach. So we didn't go to any beach resorts. We didn't go, we didn't, I hardly we saw didn't the ocean, hardly saw the ocean at all. We heard they're lovely, but we right. don't know. Um, and we were not offered, a, a, so one of our hotels had a pool, but that's about it. Going to Cuba is very different than going to other countries. And that's, of course, why we wanted to go there, was to see before it makes some big changes, and I'm sure it's changed in a major way so far. 
lots of the old buildings that from the Soviet era, which are square blocks that ugly, ugly, and they have been allowed to. They weren't probably all that good to begin with, but they've been allowed to deteriorate in a major way. And you just say, how could they let these cities go this and deteriorate to this condition? It obviously but, wasn't important to Castro and his. And and now they've they they're in a period of reconstruction and re- rebuilding, but they're starting. With, for good reason, with the tourist areas and the the main squares of the cities, and some of those, as you see from my pictures, are wow, they're colorful and they're nice looking, and they've been restored, and and it's great. But boy, as soon as you go a couple blocks off the street, which of course we did without any real trouble, we were allowed to go anywhere, and and we didn't see any real propaganda. And very few pictures or statues of Castro, which surprised me very much. And our guide, our guide said that that was his wish, that he didn't want to be memorialized in that way. He didn't feel that that was important. So we saw a lot of pictures and posters about Che Guevara uh, from the revolutionary time, but not of Castro, which was surprising. And they didn't take us to see his tomb either, which I thought they might. We even went to a cemetery. Yeah, and we but didn't he see, yeah, there. yeah, that's very interesting. Castro has been was downplayed. We had a very interesting uh, guide, and we had the same guide for two weeks, so you really get to know this person. We had a liaison person that came with us from the United States, and then we had the guide uh, in Cuba who was a Cuban, and she was uh, very frank and honest with us. We we have been to the Soviet era tours where the tour guide had to toe the line and had uh, an agenda. Could only tell you certain things. Right. Whereas this person, especially on the bus, where we were more or less in private, she could talk about all sorts of things. And one of the things that I think hit home with us that we don't understand was the special period. Is that what it was called? Yeah. There was, there was a time when Cuba's wherewithal came almost totally from the Soviet Union, who bought all their sugar and sent them petroleum and all the other life, Manufactured life goods. products that you need. They were and, totally dependent and on the And when Soviets. the wall fell and the Soviet Union fell apart, Cuba totally lost all of this financial support. And there was a period of about six years when they struggled big time and people literally starved to death. And our guide was a small child during this period, so her memories were the memories of a small child where you always have your parents taking care of stuff and worrying on your behalf. But the things she described to us were unbelievable. The inability to get food, the total lack of electricity, wearing things like leaves and shrubs on your feet because you couldn't get shoes anymore. It wasn't because they were poor. This was because the country was in crisis. They had put all their eggs in the wrong basket. And the Soviets suddenly decided that like, right, and, and they were and, having their own problems. Right, and and Cuba had no manufacturing capabilities. They had no money to buy stuff from other countries, so they were just isolated. And the Soviets kind of saw them as a a bridge into to the Western Hemisphere, so they kept them alive and going. But when they pulled out, Castro had nothing, and the and so it wasn't like th- there was rationing. There was nothing. There was the nothing country, to ration. Right, and this family, her family, uh, lived on the good graces of some of some farmers who you know were growing what they could, and uh, that was the only thing that they had uh, to sustain them. And it was her stories are A traumatic time, very much, and it has, of course, like the Depression in the United States. It has tainted her for the for the rest of her and life. Her parents, for sure. In her parents, yeah. 
So if you're wondering how did they get out of this, uh, Castro decided to start building a few resorts on their beautiful beaches, which he invited the countries to who were not part of our boycott, and they brought in some of their foreign currency, and they gradually worked themselves out of this yes. hugely deep hole. The other thing that they do, which to me is kind of counterproductive, is because their citizenry is so well-educated, and particularly in the healthcare field, they send people here and there all over the world, especially to Africa, and the African countries pay the wages of these people, but they don't get to see much of the money <laughs> because most of the wage comes back yeah. to Cuba. So it's kind of a brain drain sort of a situation, and that that also helped to get out of the deep hole that they were in after the Soviet Union fell. From Americans in Cuba, I mean, in Miami? It, yeah, there are a lot of remittances from Miami. We should also say when we flew to Cuba, we were on a regularly scheduled airline. <laughs> and the American were, Airlines flies to Cuba. And there were 20 of us, and the rest of the hour. plane was full of Cuban people. There were 20 of us, and then the rest of the plane, as she said, was Cubans. Hard to believe. And they were importing, um, in particular, extremely large screen TVs, which kind of mystified us because there isn't much TV. No, no high definition. But apparently, they were using these in the B and Bs that they were building, in the private bars. restaurants and bars that they were beginning to make for tourists. And then they also brought back huge packages of stuff wrapped in wrapped in blue plastic, <laughs> which was probably the kinds of consumer goods that right. we, we saw for sale in these tiny little private stores. Uh, they look to me more like garage sales than stores, yeah. but you got to start somewhere. Exactly. So a lot of interesting things to do in Cuba, and I would strongly recommend that you consider it as a tourist destination in the not-too-distant future because it's, it's going to change even more, and it will be fun for us to go back in 10 years. If we still can. <laughs> Yes, if we still can. You go back in 10 years and make it, and go back and listen to the podcast and tell us how we how the changes. And please understand that any of the rules and regulations and limitations that you have heard about in regard to Cuba are limitations placed on us by our government in our very lengthy embargo of that country in an effort to bring down Castro, which is strongly supported by all the Cubans who live in Florida and Miami in particular, who are embittered by the fact that that government seized their property and they lost their livelihoods and their income. And there are understandably a lot of bad feelings there. But this stuff did happen a long time ago, and our embargo never brought Castro down. Yeah. And I hope that our government does not do as our president threatened, which is to stop us from going there, because right. I think the exchange of ideas and the people-to-people -people encounters can only help to make the world a better, more peaceful place. Well, the RV End of my sermon. The RV Navigator's uh, agenda is much longer, but we're kind of running out of time here. But I would like to talk about unlimited internet through the cell phone. Okay. What do you know? Take it out. <laughs> Are you still with us? Or were, you too, you are, were you too bored by Cuba? I hope not. I hope because not. it was you an exciting we really experience. Well, and it's so different from other countries that we visited. But anyway, unlimited cell phone access for our viewers. What do you know? That you haven't gotten anywhere. Oh. Well, the, not for lack of you know, in the, in Since Christmas, there have been a huge change in the attitude of the cell phone companies, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile, about uh, how much data you can get 
and how much it's going to cost you. And this has been a really good thing, and we've seen it happen in the rest of the world, but it certainly has been taking its time coming to the United States. So if you are still on an old plan, as you know, we bought our phones, and uh, they now allow that as a capability so we can switch between carriers at will. But... uh, that means that we have to shop around for our internet service. And I was fully anticipating having to leave Verizon because uh, I didn't think that they would have a plan. But but lo and behold, they now have an un, an unlimited plan. Now, we need to mention that unlimited does not mean unlimited. <laughs> well, it, it does in some subtle ways with it doesn't mean unlimited at all. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Basically, unlimited plans give you between 22 and 30 gigabytes of data a month for a fixed rate. But that's a lot of data to me. Um, It's not enough for doing streaming, but it certainly is for doing the kind of Internet that we usually do. I mean, at home, we use about 250 gigabytes a month, but... When we're on the road, we we manage with well, we've been managing with eight or eight or twelve. Uh, having twenty two would be a real luxury, and of course, with our old satellite system, which I'm glad that we got rid of. Mm-hmm. Our old satellite system allowed us only about sixteen or seventeen a month, and that we felt was uh, pretty good. At the time. But at the time, but things change in a big way. And unlimited means that uh, at twenty two gigabytes, they implement network management which means that if the cell tower that you are on is uh, being used heavily by you and everybody else, that they will throttle the connection. But it's not a permanent throttle. So if you get up at 3 in the morning, your speed may be right back where it was at a nice high high speed. If you are on at 6 in the morning or eight at night, you might find that it's uh, throttled again. When you're streaming movies and everybody else is streaming movies. They guarantee between 22 and 30 gigabytes, depending on who you have, they guarantee that you will have uh, unthrottled service. Now, with that said, with a little bit more research... Uh, and a bit more work. That's just on your phone, which you can use to tether these days, so you can hook up your other devices to it, or you can use it with a MiFi or you know some standalone device, which is uh, just for data. There are other ways to do this if you don't mind doing a little bit more research, and this is what's become very exciting. First of all, they have this new plan. 250 gigabytes for 60 bucks a month wow. or, or five yeah or 500 gigabytes for a hundred dollars a month and this was an AT&T plan and it's for rural customers only however they didn't check or they didn't care whether you were uh, really in a rural area you just had to buy it at a rural store Place. that's a really good 250 gigabytes I mean that's that's decent and it, they don't throttle you until after that so that's a very good deal and then the other thing that we are looking into uh, is the Mobley and this is another AT&T plan and the idea (laughs) here you wonder where these people come up with the plans but there was a device called a Mobley which you plug into the port on your car that's used for diagnostics who would have thought and that provided internet inside your car so your so, kids could sit in the back seat and, and watch, watch movies and AT&T was kind of the the thinking was is that we'll make people in cars happy with their kids and their family and we'll give them unlimited internet and you can uh, stream it while you're driving down the road okay that has a very limited use 
And not only that, but it had to be added to your plan, you know, if you with had a AT&T. phone with AT&T and it was expensive and blah, 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 blah. Well, AT&T made some substantial changes to this plan. The Mobley is now available standalone and you don't have to have an AT&T account. You can get it unlimited data. This was kind of a under the under the radar sort of plan. You can buy the Mobley because it has unlimited data and AT&T charges you only $20 a month for the Mobley service. However, We've gone now to a few AT&T stores, and number one, the staff doesn't seem to know anything about it, but they pull out their iPads and they do a little research, and then they discover that they have never had one in their store and that you have to order it. And that's certainly feasible if we would stay put in one place for long enough, but so far we haven't been able to do that. But everybody is saying, well, why would I want to have unlimited Internet in my car only when the ignition's on? You know, that's not really all that much... Of value to me, but Amazon offers a plug-in so that you can take this device out of your car, plug it into a power source, which you buy from for thirty dollars from Amazon, and then you can plug it into the wall in your RV, and you now have unlimited internet for twenty bucks a month in your tent. In your t- well, what are you going to plug it into in your tent? You, it does cord. it does require power. power. But it's a very small. It's a very small device, and twenty bucks a month. I'm going to get it if I can. But I'm going to have to order. But I didn't have time in this short uh, period while we were home to order this. So if you get one, let me know. But uh, I'm going to get one as soon as we get home. It's because this plan is apparently only good through July. So the bottom line is twenty bucks a month, unlimited data. The Mobley can be used inside your RV. You have to buy it for $99. You have to buy the device for $99 unless you have, unless you want a two-year plan. With this AT&T. With AT&T. And this, I mean, this is, I don't have to have a plan. I don't have to have, get, I don't have to buy anything else from AT&T. And they're allowing me to do this through and July. this powering gizmo from Amazon, uh-huh. which costs 30 bucks. 35 something like that so an initial investment and then a reasonable very reasonable and and even though i don't really need it right now this will be great for our rv in the future and they say that it's the 22 gigabytes and then more and certainly we've gone to verizon because it seems to have the most coverage in the u.s right now but there are certainly places where we wish we had at&t and it's nice to be able to diversify right in an economical way Right. So we have now several options. 250 gigabytes for 60 bucks, or get this Mobley that has unlimited, or even with your phone these days, it's it's fairly easy to get, uh, well, what they call unlimited data, but it's really reasonable, the prices. So, and I'm thinking that I'm going to reduce the data, not have unlimited on our phone, reduce the amount of data that we have on our phone, and use the Mobley. You can even use it in the car. Mm-hmm. You know, plug it in, and in the car we just use the Wi-Fi, and then I can hook up my GPS and all sorts of other stuff, and certainly in the motorhome too. Even while you're traveling, mm-hmm. I mean, this would be a, a nice alternative, a, a very nice alternative. So I'm excited about that. Whew. That's been one more, more than an hour. Oh. One more time-sensitive thing we need oh, to include okay. on this 
podcast. Our wonderful neighbors to the north, the Canadians, are celebrating their 150th anniversary. And because they are so proud and happy and such good neighbors, they are sharing their National Parks Pass with us for free. Um, I already got ours, even though I'm not sure that we're going to make it to Canada (laughs) or not. But the last time we were... Behind my back? You got one? I showed it to you. The last time we were in Canada for a length of time, we purchased one. I can't remember what it cost, but even then it was well worth having because it gave you discounts on their provincial parks and discounts on many of the attractions that are monitored by the Canadian Park Service. And it was just all around a good deal. So we'll put a link on our website so that you can send away for your own Canadian Parks Pass. And certainly all of you who live near Canada and might go over the border every now and again to yeah. go camping or go see an attraction. It's a wonderful deal. We're very thankful to the Canadians for welcoming us to their party. One more story from Facebook. <laughs> there was somebody out there today who said, is Passport America the same thing as this National Parks Pass? Oh, that we have. Yeah. No. <laughs> we use Passport America. It's $40 a year and you get discounts at various campgrounds. And we used it on the way home here. The discounts are usually half off, which is a better discount than anything you can get with That's good That's Passport Sam. America. But these campgrounds are often not exactly on the beaten track, um, or they might black out certain popular times of the year, like the 4th of July or Labor Day. But for 40 bucks a year, we found that it was very easy by staying in a campground a few times to more than recoup the cost. Not a campground, but a, several campgrounds. From their yeah, network. From their network, right. That's Passport America. And the they other, have a good website where you can look on it and see where and the campgrounds are involved, and you can decide app, if, right. if it's worthwhile for you to do. But that costs you on a yearly basis, and it's a membership sort of thing. The other one is the... Golden Passport? Mm, I don't remember what it's called exactly. We call it the Geezer Pass. <laughs> for all of the national parks, it was $10 for the life of the pass. So this gets us into all of the national monuments and parks and for a one-time fee of $10. If you are, This is only good for geezers, so if you're over 62, be sure to go get this. Right and then, away. Right away, and then you can get into the Canadian parks with their pass and get into our parks for a one-time fee of $10. And you can also camp for half price with the, our parks pass at COE's Camp. Corps yeah. of Engineer campgrounds. Yeah, you get all sorts of great and discounts. And any campgrounds that are administered, like by our Forest Service right, right. or National Park campgrounds that are not part of concessions. Yes. So it's definitely worth having, and and hopefully you're old enough to get one because the price is going to go up to eighty dollars, yeah, something like that. Yeah. In the not too just, but even eighty dollars is be still a good deal because uh, it's it's a one-time expenditure. Get it when you and we've been using get it, it when you're old, whatever that is. <laughs> we've been using it for years. Well, I was I was worried that we wouldn't have enough to talk about today. Well, but the podcast has gone on forever and ever. People are <laughs> <laughs> and and. Because we were talking a little bit early, you're gonna next month. You'll hear all about uh, Singapore and Asia, and where it's very warm and 90 degrees and 90 percent humidity. So we'll be sweating, and we'll be sitting on our balcony drinking mai tais. So we hope that this lack of RV news per oh. se will 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 not turn you off, and that you love traveling as much as we do wherever it happens to be. And we certainly appreciate all of the great emails that you sent us. We <laughs> you tell us about how many episodes you've listened to, and and how 
how much you've enjoyed them, and, uh, and we're very glad that uh, that we can provide you with this service. So it's been a lot of fun, and it's been fun uh, meeting numerous people and communicating with you through email and. Oh, life is good. So we we certainly enjoy the podcast, and we hope that you do too. So uh, we will turn it over to next month, and we'll hopefully this will be uploaded on time, and we'll be ready to go for you to listen. And you won't be at a campground near us because we won't be. Maybe camping. you'll be on a cruise near us or a camping <laughs> near us, right? We. And if you live near me, come and see me during my convalescence. Oh, I yes. don't need to be Stop entertained. Yeah, she needs. We need some new people to talk to because she's going to have and to bring stay home. some food so that my cook can get a break. Who's your cook? You. Oh no! <laughs> I only cook on Tuesdays. Not this time. Oh, what's going to happen to me? You're going to be an accomplished S- chef oh, by the no. time I can walk. Okay, again. you got to send me recipes. <laughs> There's oh, only I, five ingredients. That's his. No, no, no ingredients. I just want to go to the store and buy. <laughs> so the six dollar meals with entree and two sides. By the time we hit the road again, we'll both be malnourished. <laughs> oh, now you remind me. I have to. I'm, so I'm going to have a month without cooking, and then after that, I have to start cooking. Yep. So enjoy your cruise. Oh, dear listeners, please help me out. I'm going to need cooking assistance. And the reason why I have to cook is because she's going to be, because her foot is out of commission, she's going to be immobile. For a long time. Immobile, which means that I have to wipe your butt too? No. (laughs) I think I can manage that. It's only my foot. It's getting you to the toilet that's going to be the problem. Well, crutches are supposed to Oh, uh, well, we'll have a lot of stories and maybe a few pictures. Huh? Right. <laughs> you want to show them my scar? <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to have anything else to do. <laughs> well, we can finally get to all the RV stories that we didn't get to this time. Ah, good idea. Okay, so it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, please keep in touch with us, and we'll see you in a cabin near us in the not-too-distant future. Really? I hope so. Bye for now. Yeah.